I want to start with this picture of me posing cheesily in front of a bunch of students at high school camp. Um, as you can see there, back when I had hair, and that shirt doesn't fit anymore, I can promise you that. Um, but you know, I directed a week of high school summer camp for 20 plus years, and it was a lot of fun. And over the course of the last several years that I directed that week of camp, uh, I always booked myself as the opening night speaker, uh, not all week, uh, but just the opening night. I just started to kick off the week, and we always did the opening night around like a campfire, and uh, so the, you know, the guys would play music, and then I would talk uh, for a few minutes. And for those last few years, I always taught the first night of camp every single year uh, on this reading that you just heard from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 16. And the reason I liked it, and the reason I used it, is because the whole passage revolves around uh, these questions, you know? The passage revolves around a couple of really important things that Jesus asks his disciples. And I like questions because questions are truly the foundation of a living, breathing faith. If your faith is afraid of questions, it might be suffering, you know? And so you want to get comfortable with asking and answering questions about perhaps what you think about this or that when it comes to faith. And so I've always loved that passage, and not just because it was high school students sort of trying to figure out uh, the pathways of faith that they may take, but again, it's just a simple text about questions being asked of people who were around Jesus. And all of us, I think, have questions about our faith. Would that be safe to say? Is that true? No? You guys got it all down? <laughs> Great. Um, Give me a call, because I could use some help in some areas. Um, but I think all of us honestly have questions about uh, the things that we've heard in church, the things that we've been taught uh, as kids, maybe. Uh, I mean, all of us have been through those situations where you're like, I remember hearing something in Sunday school as a child, and that now sounds rather strange or maybe even silly. And so you sort of try to work through those new understandings uh, of the things that we've learned before. So all of us uh, have questions, and all of us have been in discussions where our faith was watered, like just given nourishment through discussion, but also I'm sure all of us have been in discussions where our faith is even found uh, wanting, like I need more of this, I need more discussion around this issue. And maybe you grew up in a church environment where questions about faith weren't really welcomed. I don't want to ask you to raise your hand because that's the kind of church you grew up in. But, uh, but growing up in a church culture where questions were uh, not encouraged can be tough on a faith, you know? Just to accept things that you hear and not ask further questions can be a very difficult path towards belief. And our reading for today takes us into a situation where uh, the disciples of Jesus are asked Two questions by Jesus himself, but they are also about Jesus. So it's a very interesting, it's almost as if Jesus is interested in what they think about him. And so this text is quite uh, simple in that regard. I will tell you this, just as a side, um, this text is really part of a larger story. And next week sort of finishes the passage. This one cuts off at a very important place. I don't like that. 
Um, but, um, and so you have to come back next week. I'll try to make it a cliffhanger, okay? I'll do my best. I'll do my best so that you leave and you go, man, I got to come back for the next part. Um, but I wrote my notes and I can tell you that that's probably not going to be the case. It's not a great ending. Um, but this is a larger story, but what we'll do today is just focus on these questions uh, that Jesus asks. It's very easy to imagine, I think, for each of us that the disciples of Jesus were just bought in. They were just locked in to who Jesus was and all of that. But the truth is, they, like you and me, struggled with who Jesus was. And again, here's the cliffhanger. I'll do it at the beginning. Uh, You'll see this next week. I mean, there's a confession made in our passage today from Peter. It's very dramatic that you are the Messiah. And then next week, we learn that he doesn't quite understand his own confession. It's confusing. And so we often have this picture of the disciples as people who may have been completely locked into everything that Jesus said and did and who he was and what he was about. But these people, just like you and me, are human. And so they struggled uh, at times with Jesus. So let's take a look at a few things in the text. I'm just going to highlight three things here. Hey, three points. What do you know? (laughs) Well, not really. The first thing is the setting. And I like this part of the story. Matthew includes this in the story, that Jesus and his disciples are in this city called Caesarea Philippi. And there are two Caesareas, and so this one is named Philippi. And this is a, um, it's a sort of a nearby city to the Galilee. It's about 20 miles north of Galilee, where Jesus and his disciples did much of their work. Um, It's on the edge of Israel and the rest of culture. So it's a kind of a border town into the rest of the world. Uh, It was originally named after the god Pan. So there you go. There was a nice cultic worship center there for Pan. Um, But also when Herod the Great was gifted the city, he built a temple there for Caesar Augustus, uh, sort of a rising worship movement in the days of Jesus and before, this worship of the Caesars. Uh, And eventually that city was handed off to Um, Herod's son, Philip, thus Caesarea Philippe I. Thank you. There's your history. But it's important because the backdrop of this little impromptu group discussion that Jesus has with his disciples is in this diverse religious landscape. Lots of variety of belief systems existed in this non-Jewish City And so Jesus takes this opportunity almost as if the background begs the question and he asks them, hey, what do people say about me? His exact question is, who do people say that the son of man is? This is a phrase that Jesus would use of himself. What's the chatter Jesus is asking? What have you seen on Reddit about me? What's the reputation that I have. I hear the kids. Must be a good one. And I wonder, like, does Jesus really care? And I don't really know. I don't think he does, but the question seems to be a pathway into the second question. But for now, he does ask them to share with him what it is that people are saying about him. It almost sounds like Jesus is a bit insecure, but again, he's just probing this question about who he might be in the eyes of others. It's a question of 
extraction. Think outside of your religious bubble for a moment, of your faith circle, and what is the cultural outlook on Jesus? What is that? Now, I've said this before in various ways, but um, Christianity in America is having quite a moment. Uh, It's not the most popular thing. Um, Church attendance since really the 1960s has been declining at a pretty rapid rate. Um, You know, more than 40 million people in America don't attend church anymore. Um, It's awesome to be a part of the church right now. And it's even more fun to be a pastor, you know, especially when you end up in conversations with people who don't go to church and they ask me what I do. And uh, I usually just try to avoid that question, you know, Uh, because I would like to make friends. And uh, usually in a conversation that comes up, you know, where that subject comes up, uh, and I say what I am, that usually leads to lots of, uh, I don't know what you call it, I'm just sort of like, I'm on the receiving end of all these grievances about things that people have experienced, and they're very real, and so I listen, but it's not really that fun. If I'm on a plane or something like that, I say that like I travel a lot. I've been on a plane, you know, once in the last few years, Um, but every time, you know, every time I have to stop my uh, questionable movie that I'm watching to answer a question about my faith. (laughs) And you know, even when I walk through, for some reason, these are out now, I have no idea, I don't even know of a Christian holiday that's coming up, they usually come around on Christian holidays, but like I'm at Target or Kroger or whatever, and there's always like a magazine, and the, the main headline cover is, who is Jesus? You know, it's usually Life magazine, I think they're out of ideas, but... I don't know if you've seen these, but it's always like this topic about who Jesus is. So the question that Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? That question's still being asked and batted around. And the disciples, what I find very interesting here is that they had answers like in their pocket. Uh, if you were listening, they rattle off three people. They say, oh, uh, some people say John the Baptist. Uh, Some people say Elijah, and then some people say Jeremiah. And you're like, great, who are these people? Well, they're all dead prophets. Great band name, by the way. The Dead Prophets. See me afterwards, we'll start it up. But the point here is that what people were perceiving Jesus to be was that he was in this tradition of the prophets. He had good things to say, wise things to say, needed things to listen to. And so he was in this tradition of the prophets. There's also this very interesting dynamic here that these are all prophets who had died. And so there's this sense of he's come back as one of these prophets too. People had strange ideas about who Jesus was, but the disciples, they had answers. You probably have answers too. What do your friends say about Jesus? Who is he? You could rattle these off. Well, they think this or that. So the question is still not just being asked, but it's being answered all the time. And I like how they had a response. You know, they weren't dislocated from the disparate ideas and opinions about Jesus. They were in touch with these tensions surrounding who Jesus was. 
So who is it that people say, I am, this is a good question for people of faith to wrestle with. But then he says this to them, who do you say that I am? That's getting personal, you know? And the thing is, it sounds personal, but Jesus speaks to them in the plural. Who do you, you guys? He's asking the group. The Greek here is actually, what y'all think? (laughs) What's going on in y'all's heads? And I used to read this story. I no longer read it this way anymore, but I used to read this story as a challenge on the individual to firm up their faith and convictions. Not that that's a bad thing. And I used to read this as a story about owning what you believe as a person and what you have come to believe and to own what you uh, define your faith as and to come to that on your own so that it's authentic, to use the word of the decade, or real. What do you think? But the question is asked to the group, to the community. C.S. Lewis, in his Weight of Glory lectures, talks about community. And he talks about this truth that in the scriptures, there is no such thing as a solitary religion. That faith is, in all respects, a peer-reviewed thing. It's something that we talk about. And the question of who do you say that I am, it matters. It really, really does. And there is a personal aspect to that. But the answer is often best worked out in conversation. I mean, I could never, as a person, an individual, fully understand Jesus on my own. It's just not possible. I have too many biases. There's too many confusions. I have too many unanswered questions. And to just go into those on my own doesn't always produce a well-rounded answer or an answer at all. Faith is something that's best worked out in this community of discussion and back and forth and questions. And my question for you today, and this is quite simple, Do you have such a community? Do you have people that you can speak to about your faith? Or is it just all Google? You know, because that's reviewed. You know, well, I hit a nerve there. Okay. (laughs) It's important that we do have people around us that are not just comfortable with questions that we might have, but that are gracious to walk with us through those things. Uh, I don't know how many years ago this was, but I know it was in our uptown days, so two venues ago. We did this long series of sermons called This Place, and it was a kind of a values series about our church. You know, this place is a place of, and then we would have these different values that we talked through, and One of them was uh, simply this, that this place is a safe place to work out your faith among friends. And that's still a value for us. 
that it's a safe place to work out your faith among friends, that we don't always have everything wrapped up in terms of what we believe. And I can just tell you as, um, as someone who's a professional Christian, and you guys are amateurs, uh, I can tell you that you go through changes in what you believe. And don't be afraid of that. That's what the community is for. Hey, I've been thinking about this. I've been having some questions about this. And everybody starts to talk. And that's just normal. Faith is not this completely static, wooden thing. It develops as we grow and experience life. I have learned that isolation can really drain a faith because all we have is ourselves. And that's not great, you know? We can't always help ourselves through things that are tough when it comes to faith. Even the ancient monastics, these alone people, they still had communities in which they gathered to talk and to dialogue about what they're thinking, you know? It's good to have these peer-reviewed conversations. That just works in life in general. The last thing I want my oncologist to say when he comes in to talk to me is to, for him to say, yeah, I've been thinking up this thing, and uh, I think it's going to work. Have you talked to anybody about this? Nah, I got it. You know? I need, I need him to talk to people. I need other professionals to look at it and people who know to say, I don't know about that. Or yes, let's try that. But even these ancient monastics had communities in which they would talk and work out their faith. And community can bring strength as well and hope to a faith. And I say this with great care but I think that you'll find this to be true in your heart of hearts, is that we don't always believe. Amen? Sometimes you come into this room and you're like, I got nothing. Not today. Life's been tough, or I have questions that remain unanswered, and I have some problems with God. And sometimes we don't believe like we want to believe. One thing you'll notice when you read the scriptures, especially something like the Lord's Prayer, uh, when you read the documents of the ancient church, like the creeds, these pronouncements of faith, they're always in the plural. Our Father, who art in heaven, lead us, forgive us. And in the creeds that always begin, we believe. There's been big controversy when people wanted to change them to the singular that I believe. But there's something powerful in the we believe. In his book on the creeds, Luke Timothy Johnson, New Testament scholar from Emory, talks about the importance of the we believe versus the I believe. And he just simply says, you know, again, sometimes we come into these worship spaces and we don't believe. We're weak in our faith. But, and yet we stand together and we say these things as a community, and he says this beautiful thing where he says one day, the hope is that one day the I believe 
will become as strong as the we believe. So there's something to the community of our faith that's very, very important. And when Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say, who do y'all think I am? They had been talking, obviously. Peter speaks for them because he kind of speaks for them all the time. And he speaks what they are convicted of. But you can tell that it comes from a place of discussion, of wrestling, and that's where they've been. Now, Jesus goes on to say, what you've said is not solely on your own. It's a very mysterious part of the, pa- the passage where Jesus said this information was given to you not through your own thinking it out, but in a divine way. And I think that's true. Sometimes faith is not something we work through on our own, but sometimes faith is surprise and overwhelm. We are touched by something, and yet there is agency there. We've been thinking about it, asking questions. And so the question of who Jesus is, it matters, and it matters for all of us. But it's a question best suited for the community. And that's what we do in this room. That's what we do in homes across the city, in our parish groups. That's what we do when we have classes It's all quite simple. What we're doing is we're working out, as the Apostle Paul says in Philippians, we are working out our salvation. Salvation is something that's handed to us and it's wooden and stationary. It's something we continue to work out, as Paul says. We continue to work out our salvation. And so if you have questions about your faith, if you are someone who is prone to doubt and skepticism, that's good. It's a way to grow. It's a way to learn. I like what Joan Chatister says about faith, that doubt is really the foundation of a faith because it forces us to get in there and to ask questions about what we believe. Amen.